Agriculture's central role to the Australian economy has been well recognised through the COVID-19 crisis and thankfully the essentials of the wool industry are continuing. Wool selling in various forms, wool testing and wool harvesting. But it's all occurring with some strong restrictions but also some unlikely positives. Hello, welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So in this episode, we're going to go around the ground, so to speak, and hear from shearing contractors around Australia and how they're handling social distancing in shearing sheds, smoker rooms and living quarters across the country through this extraordinary health crisis. First, we head to South Australia and Glenn Haynes of the Shearing Contractors Association of Australia. managing a lot of contractors and helping them with adapting to this situation as well as looking after the training side of it through um, Victoria and, and into South Australia for the industry as well. A lot of the teams are doing a fantastic job of adapting to the new, the new COVID-19 protocols that were put in place a, a couple of weeks ago. That was work with wool producers and uh, AWEX and WASI, the contract association from over in Western Australia. So that, that's gone along really well. There's some teams that have isolated themselves now for five, six weeks out in camp out, uh, top of South Australia, New South Wales, Queensland. Uh, haven't even been to town yet. So people are dealing with it differently, each team. So, yeah, it's gone along quite well. And it's been so important that the wool industry has been seen as uh, an essential service and, of course, shearing being central to that. It sounds like people have taken it very, very seriously indeed. Yeah, they have. They have, Marius. I think, you know, we need to be aware that, you know, if the virus does get into certain teams in certain areas where you've got suburban runs where shearers are travelling out from all different areas to go to the one team in cars and sharing vehicles, etc., and then swapping teams, you, you know, you pretty much could wipe out a, a whole contractor's teams in, in certain areas. You know, a lot of contractors swap workers. So the guys have been really good. There's people like all travelling, taking their own cars each day, using every second stand to keep the social distancing rule. Um, a lot of the farmers have been fantastic with supplying hand sanitizer and and that type of thing. And yeah, you know, and they're happy if their shearing takes a, a, an extra few days longer just to keep rolling along. What has happened, Glenn, where there has been a suspected case or indeed a positive test? What's what's happened in that situation? Yeah, so basically uh, there's been two incidences that um, I know personally of, one in uh, Kingston in the south-east and another one in New South Wales, you know, where someone was suspected to have the virus through contact with someone who, you know, secondary sort of case, I suppose, they had contact with somebody else who had the virus or sort of thing. Um, basically, they've been traced down by the government and told to isolate then the contractors have rang the hotline and they've been contacted. Um, they've pulled all their workers up instantly, sent them all home, just pulled them up out of the shed, sent them all home and isolated them until the isolating period passed and they were given the green light by the government. You know, there was no-one showed symptoms or anything, so they're, they're back at work and continuing now. But it does show you how quickly, you know, the guy in the southeast, great operator, he pulled three teams up. Farmers were all understanding and so were the workers. Yeah, that's quite interesting to hear that everyone has taken it so seriously and it's uh, had such a, a good result and, and basically allowing everyone else to, to continue. How is the patience going? I mean, because you, you have 
in a lot of instances, obviously only um, every second stand working. Shearing's being dragged out in a lot of cases, obviously. Shearing probably delayed in others. How is everyone coping with the patients, both from a, a shearing team point of view, but also from a wool producer's point of view? Yeah, look, I think that's one thing I've noticed is absolutely brilliant from both sides of the industry. I think everyone sort of embraced the new rules in a way that at least we can continue working. I think there was a, a fair bit of, you know, confusion there going even back only a couple of weeks ago where, where no one really knew what was going to happen. Was the industry going to get pulled up? Was Australia going into a lockdown type of thing? But I think it's pretty clear now from all indications that, you know, we just got to keep moving along and and just go along with the situation the way it is. I mean, like, farmers are happy because they're still going to get their sheep, Sean, just takes a little bit longer. A lot of places are doubling up, you know, instead of sort of doing one one shed that takes a week and then starting another shed that takes another week, they're um, doing both those sheds at once with the minimum staff in both of them, so they're still getting their sheep, shorn. The workers, it's not really a lot different. It's not affecting their pay, obviously, because they're still at work, which they, which is fantastic. And again, the farmers getting their sheep shorn. So yeah, I think it's um, it's really good. It's been going along really well. The Australian shearing and wool handling industry has relied very heavily on overseas workers, particularly from New Zealand, for a long time. What's happened there? I presume a lot of those Kiwis have now had to head home. Yeah, I think a lot of them took the opportunity to jump on a plane and head back, so they could be with their families. Some of the guys have. Um, that we sort of see around the place, they've, they've sort of said, no, we, we're going to pat down the hatches here, continue to work over here, and if they've got to sit down a bit over the winter, well, so be it. So that, they're going to keep rolling along that way. I think it'll probably see the main impact if the New Zealand workforce can't come in the springtime. Obviously, we rely very heavily on that, especially in areas like southwest Victoria, southeast South Australia, apart from New South Wales. They rely very heavily on it. But um, it's also a silver lining that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of young people that are going to be out of work in the cities, etc. Uh, might be a really good opportunity to, to get some of those people interested in the industry. Obviously, we can train them very quickly to be a wool handler. Uh, there's not too many jobs that you can sort of, you know, without qualifications go in and earn $250 a day. So it is probably a really good opportunity to train a few people up and get them into the industry so we don't have to rely so much on that overseas workforce. That's a really interesting point you make there, Glenn. How do you get the word out to people, particularly in the cities, that there is that employment opportunity? Yeah, well, I suppose a lot of it comes from word of mouth. I mean, we, we've got a lot of people from the city that put their names down to do the courses out of interest or, you know, their cousins on a farm and, you know, they're sort of talking and, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind having to go. That'll I mean, for instance, a upcoming school in Ballarat in a couple of weeks' time. You know, there's 19 people have got their name down to do that course over five days. So, you know, I mean, the advertising side of it will probably come into it. Um, there's skills websites that the Victorian government, South Australian government, etc., have all got up where people can go and have a look. I think agriculture's got a really big future amongst this. I mean, it's, like I said, it's probably one of the silver linings out of it where we can, you know, might be able to get some Aussies back into the industry. Yes, there are some silver linings for agriculture in general, not just the fact that people are probably appreciating the fact that farmers grow the food and fibre that uh, fills up the supermarkets and the shops. Uh, it sounds like people looking at opportunities outside the cities and uh, getting back out, back amongst nature, might uh, be quite a significant upshot from this as well. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, something we're learning to adapt as a training organisation too, Marius, you know, like we're sort of learning to do a lot more stuff online, like the wool classing side of it, you know, there's parts of that that we can do the theory side of it online. We're sort of developing a, a lot of online videos with AWI at the moment of, you know, just some of the trainers, um, the top trainers across Australia, just, you know, small videos and back to basics of how to set emery papers, handpiece maintenance, um, discussions on sports gears, except just to, to keep that rolling along, I suppose, in the industry. So that, that created a lot of interest um, on social media. So tell us a bit about that, Glenn. Yeah, there are some very good videos there. Where do people find them and what exactly do they entail? Yeah, so we started those on the Shearer Wool Handler Training Facebook page. The AWI have uh, been sharing that on uh, some of their pages. I know we've got a lot of the National Farmers Federations, the Victorian um, Farmers, etc. A lot of those organisations, agricultural social media pages are, are sharing that all over the place on shearing worldwide, etc. it's going across the world. So a lot of those videos, like I said, are basic videos just for the young guys that have done the learner schools, um, just to get them interested on weekends of setting emery papers, how to do it properly, because we can't sometimes get trainers out to them. You know, the wool handling on how to skirt a fleece properly, you know, how to be more efficient, setting up the shed for efficient wool flow. There's lots of things, you know, just those little things that we do each day that sometimes, you know, you need to go back to basics and and start doing it, go, go back there and get people interested and um, show them the easy way to do things. Fantastic, Glenn. Well, um, thank you very much for your time on the yarn today. It sounds like it is a bit of a silver lining to a pretty dark cloud across the world, but um, as you say, it might be uh, in some ways a bit of a rejuvenation for, for farming and particularly shearing and wool handling as well. Yeah, 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 well, I do. Yeah, I mean, we're really looking forward to coming out of this and getting some normality back but until that stage we'll just yeah keep rolling along doing the best job that we can. Glenn Haynes of the Shearing Contractors Association of Australia. We head now to Victoria where Robbie Crouch says it hasn't been easy but his teams are adapting. Yeah, it's, um, we're, we're going alright we're just we're happy to be working but um, definitely throwing up some challenges to us as we're all well aware we, um, the whole industry relies on those overseas workers and we sort of we were just about to hit our full straps in our autumn run and yeah we had some New Zealand boys and girls getting emails saying yeah get home or uh, there might be a chance not to be coming home for a while and they'll obviously have their prelim shearing over that happen over there so but um, anyway we're just stretching out our work and, and we're getting by. So how does it work in a shed itself? People are talking about obviously using every second stand and rouseabouts waiting for the shearer to go and collect the next sheep before they collect the fleece, those sorts of things. I mean, it's it's hard in a shearing environment. It's a very intimate, close environment. It is, and that's, um, we've got a couple going at the minute, Banningville Station there. It's a nine-stand shed. They've got pretty generous gaps in between stands, but we've sort of just pulled that back to a four. We've got Chihuahua Station at Beaufort there. Yeah, that's a six. We've just brought that back to a four stand. And, yeah, sorry, Banningville's a five. So um, we're just sort of those bigger teams. We're just trying to downsize them a bit, not have such a big volume of people in there. Because some of those sheds sort of get up to, you know, 15 or 20 people working in them. Well, um, if we do have any any cases come through, we've sort of got a lot of staff down. So... We're, we're just downsizing a bit and we've got like, uh, the cook at Banningle there, we've got Plasti 
very, very minimal changes in jobs. If possible, we won't change at all. So the boys with their own hand, um, own towels and girls in their own suites and all that sort of thing is just um, pretty crucial. And the boys are under instructions. If the girls sort of can't keep up, it's not. We don't have that luxury of just making a phone call and and getting other other girls in there. So you know, as times have just got to slow down and. And yeah, sort of, we're trying to, we're sort of running the whole shed all the time instead of having farmers and their staff coming in and out of out of the shed. So we're just trying to be realistic about the whole thing and make it make it work the best we can. It sounds like everyone's sort of having to be patient with a big drop in productivity, just so that everyone can keep working. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and the farmers, all, all, of, all of our farmers, been absolutely tremendous in, in understanding and. We all just realise how fortunate we are to be able to keep working. Sort of, um, yeah. You listen to the radio and you hear the volume of people that are out of a job. It's very hard times. So, um, if we've just got to slow it down, and, and we we sort of got no choice because we're sort of getting all these workers into that such, you know, all that work in such a short time. Well, we've just got to slow it down and spread it out because we don't have the people there either. So, how does it work just in terms of living itself, Robbie? Have you got your team's in total isolation, living in a camp, so to speak, or how does it work? So as best we can, Banningool Kuruvi's camping up there. Some properties are we just we're just talking to them and we're just working out the situation. So there is some work camping. They are going home. Families are in total isolation. But yeah, the likes at Banningool there, well, we've just got had the luxury of nearly 20 rooms there, I'd imagine. So we are, you know, one person to a room or one couple to a room. There's just no need to, for crew to be, you know, boys to be sharing huts and all that. So we're just trying to well, make them as best we can. That morning, photo in the smoko room, the boys had to go and have their smoko. Um, and then, yeah, but, you know, that 10, 15 minutes and then they rotate and the girls go in at the same in the lunchroom. They just sort of get the rotation so we just don't have everyone in there at the same time. Everyone sort of keeps their 1.5 metre gap. Robbie, very much appreciate your time today. Very difficult days, but it sounds like you're getting through it pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I just think there's any positivity that will come out of this. I think the industry will really, really benefit and definitely the farmers if we can put the times into these young blokes. It's going to be a it's going to be a big opportunity for them this year when it's not usually there as much as it should be. Yeah, it's a point that's really well made. Well, thank you very much for your time on The Yarn today and all the best to you. No worries. Thank you very much. Shearing contractor Robbie Crouch from Victoria there. And now we head to the mighty west where Darren Spencer of the WA Shearing Industry Association says things are going okay for now. Pretty good, actually. Most contractors are working it into their systems whether you know if there's not enough room between the stands will they drop the stand out in between otherwise if there's enough room in between the stands they're just cheering on with shed staff sort of taking that little bit longer just a wait until the shearer gets out the out the way of the fleece and then they pick it up and continue on like that You've got an extra level of complications in Western Australia with regional lockdowns as well. Just how is that working? Most teams are right because if we're going to work and it's an essential service, you know, we can cross borders. At the moment, it doesn't seem to be worrying the agricultural areas too much. I think they're more concentrating on people coming out of the city and, and out into the agricultural areas. Where I am, 
we're in a big area where we can go from just south of us up through to as far up as Dalwallan and across to Durian Bay. So for us, it's no real drama. But the guys around Cogin up in Catanning and places like that, they're crossing borders. But they're going for work, so, yeah, it's no drama. Did you lose many Kiwis from teams that went back to New Zealand and uh, has that opened up opportunities elsewhere? Not a lot from over here. I did hear from the east of a lot went. But most of them had sort of wound back and there were the ones that predominantly live here and reside here. The thing was that what counteracted the Kiwis going was that all the guys that normally head off to Europe uh, to shear in Germany, Spain and all those places over there, they haven't gone. So they're still in the system, so we haven't lost those guys. So, you know, everyone seems to be finding enough workers at the moment. It's interesting, Darren, how shearing teams and contractors and farmers have all adapted relatively well. But have you had any positive tracebacks or have you had to deal with any situations that way? No positive tracebacks, but, yeah, there's a, a few contractors and a few contractors have had to sort of tell staff that if they don't want to play the game and, and abide by the protocols and stuff they need to go or staff putting other team members at risk by not uh, isolating and going out and trying to party and stuff. You know, some of those some of those team members have been asked to leave because it's upsetting the others in teams. So most contractors are working with the protocols that we've got to use and are being very cautious that the teams don't get locked down because most members wouldn't be eligible for any job keeper or anything like that because a lot of businesses wouldn't be 30% down on their income for the year. Yes, and you've been very proactive in WA around messaging and some videos and just the information's been great out of WA. For people that haven't seen it, what can they uh, be pointed to? If you go to the WASIA website, it's, most of it's on there for people to see and, and what we're doing. And the other thing we're doing is we're emailing our members all the time, but since the um, COVID-19 stuff's been in, we've been having a weekly catch-up on Google Hangouts. So we had Craig Shan, who does our workers' compensation through most of the association. He was on one night. We had an accountant on last week. Tonight we've got Ruddick Kolarjic from Prime Superannuation on. And so members can just come on and ask questions and they'll let members know what's going on in their field. So it's just giving everyone a calming influence. And we seem to be getting 22, 23 people hooking in of a Tuesday or Wednesday night, whichever night we do it. And it seems really good to keep contact with all our members. I think they're appreciating what we're doing. That's uh, really interesting to hear that that's been going on. And in a way, uh, whilst everyone's having to be isolated, you're developing a, a pretty tight digital community there by the sound of it. Yeah, it's something we just decided that, you know, because we were getting a lot of phone calls from people wanting to know what to do and all this sort of stuff. And since we started doing these hookups, a lot of those people that are asking questions are coming on on, on the Tuesday or Wednesday night and just logging in and, and getting answers. So seems to cut down the phone calls and people are just getting on with their work and dealing with it as they have to deal with it. And as a bit of a side issue, Darren, um, we've seen a lot of stock travel over east. Are people still selling sheep to the eastern states or is there a bit more of a capacity to start building the flock a bit? still over here. Some areas have had a little bit of rain, but not a huge amount of rain. So, yeah, I think with, with the prices being offered from the eastern states, there's still a lot of stock going on. I followed a stock truck out east 
the other day and he was he was off to Nun Drew and that must have been Saturday and he said he'd be back and heading out there again midweek this week. So no, there's still plenty of stock heading over east. And are you getting plenty of shearers to shear them as well? At this stage we are. Yeah, it'll depend on how what happens when we come to the spring run and State Minister for Agriculture, she's, she's rang me and her office has contacted me and they're very keen to work out how we can get shearers in here for the spring run because we'll need that extra help where we usually get the Kiwis come in and so they're going to put strategies in place to enable contractors to bring those, those uh, shearers in from New Zealand. Alana McTiernan's been a, a, a big fan of Indigenous shearing schools as well in Western Australia, hasn't she? Well, continue the good work, Darren. Lovely to catch up and all the best for however long this takes. No worries. Thanks, Marius, and, and thanks to AWI for all their support of you know, our association and the support with those Aboriginal schools and everything they're supporting here in WA with the shearing industry. So thanks very much. Darren Spencer of the West Australian Shearing Industry Association. Finally, let's hear from Craig French from Australian Wool Innovation. My role is training with the shearing and wool handling team and looking at the wool harvesting training and development and uh, started with the company in early February. So Craig, there's been a very united and proactive response from the wool industry, particularly where it comes to wool harvesting. Just talk us through AWI's role in keeping shearing going and the important messages around that. There's no doubt that we all understand and recognise that shearing is an essential service. Uh, there's no doubt that we need to keep the bull off off the sheep. There's certainly the COVID-19 created some challenges for the industry. AWI and other industry bodies uh, got together there two weeks ago when we looked at putting some procedures and policies in place for the industry to follow. This has been well received, brokers and growers and contractors have all been very proactive and understand the concerns and the, the ability for them to follow those guidelines. And the sort of three areas of the industry that everyone has worked well to, to keep rolling have been harvesting, testing, but also the ability to sell wool. So where do wool growers go for more information in this regard, particularly if they're looking at shearing in the, uh, in the days, weeks ahead? website at wool.com is certainly a, a good place to visit. We have a copy of the guidelines and protocols for shearing on our site. Certainly contractors, uh, social media, most contractors that I've been speaking to always are active on social media and it is very, very important that we keep the shearing uh, going ahead. There's no doubt that with shearing, the important thing is that we keep keep the wool going through, as, as you just said, through the testing and selling, and we all work well together. 
And Craig, just on a separate but related note, you've uh, recently joined the company. Uh, tell us a bit about how you've hit the ground running with AWI since you've joined. Yeah, well, certainly. Thanks, Marius. And, and look, it's, it's great to be a part of AWI. It's a challenging role. We're not training at the moment. We're not running any sharing skills at the present time. We're not doing any in-shed training. However, that hopefully will happen again sooner rather than later. We have some very good trainers across the country and we run some very good shearing schools across the country. And I'm looking forward to working with the trainers and, and, and with the other industry organisations when we get back, back into full swing. But certainly at the moment, self-isolation, working from home, it, it's good, but it's obviously got some issues as well. But we're all trying to be as positive and as productive as we can. Other than that, I'm really, really pleased that the growers and the, and, the, and the contractors are being very sensible about the way that they approach the shearing. I think it's sensible to, to use the common sense approach and, and be sensible, and the people that I've been speaking to are certainly doing that. Uh, there's no doubt that we hopefully are winning the, the fight against this virus and, and, and hopefully we'll be back in full swing sooner rather than later. Well, let's certainly hope so. Craig French there, who heads up the shearing and wool handler training at AWI. So you might not be able to travel around Australia at the moment, but we got there a snapshot of how the country's shearing sheds are continuing to operate. And for more information, head to wool.com. There is a lot of COVID-19 information and guidelines right there on the landing page. So for any feedback and ideas, uh, this particular episode was one of those ideas. Please head to the yarn at wool.com. We do love to hear from you. But also catch up with us as Wool Innovation on Twitter and Facebook and Beyond the Bale on Instagram. But for now, from me, Murray's coming. Thank you, as always, for your company. Please stay safe and we look forward to your company again soon. <laughs>